Hello. Hey there, Brian. Hey, George. How are you? Welcome to this holiday edition of Book of Mormon Binge Mode. Yep. <laughs> almost Christmas, Brian. It's almost Christmas. We're doing this on a weekend. On the first day of Christmas, Binge Mode gave to me. What did I give to you? Alma 60 through Helaman 5. <laughs> That's pretty good. Okay. Let's jump into abridgment <laughs> with that being said. Abridging the records. All right, Brian. There is there is a lot of story in this one. Woo! And it is all pretty interesting. I, I agree with you there. These are my favorite chapters of the Book of Mormon. Um, but by far. I was up pretty late last night writing this, and so I don't really remember <laughs> what I wrote, so it might be weird in some points. Let's get into it. Okay. So remember last time uh, Moroni was frustrated because he felt like the government was not supporting the troops. So this begins with Moroni writing an epistle to Bahoran, the current chief judge pretty um, level-headed epistle yeah yeah um, this cool yeah we'll uh, we'll dive into it um they should have sent more armies supplies etc they didn't even get a nephite comedian to visit the troops to raise morale so he's really <laughs> mad at pahoran uh he says that they must have been in a thoughtless stupor the whole time and the blood of those slain will come upon their heads for vengeance so he says, you guys must have been a stupid, thoughtless stupor the whole time, and the blood of the innocent will be on your heads for vengeance. Moroni sure knows how to get people on his side. <laughs> uh, he even goes as far to say that the Lord lets the righteous be slain so the judgment can come upon the wicked. With God, nobody is safe. He, he's just making crap up as he goes along, but okay. <laughs> he's, so, oh, so I'm righteous. Oh, so I have to get killed so you can punish. Okay, that makes sense for this religion. Sure. <laughs> Um, anyway, he rips them apart, kindly asks for supplies. Pahoran writes Moroni back. He says, whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't enjoy your afflictions. <laughs> Truth is, we've had a little bit of an insurrection going on over here. <laughs> Just a small coup. <laughs> these, these kingsmen sure don't like us, freemen, and our freedom. Here's the kicker, old Moroni. I'm not even on the judgment seat, RN, which is right now. <laughs> Uh, I've, I've even had to flee out to the boonies of Gideon. Guess who's on the judgment seat right now? A king. They appointed him. Oh, and it doesn't stop Which there. would be called a throne, but okay. <laughs> oh, it doesn't stop there. He wrote to the Lamanites and said he wanted to join them and take our land. And look, I know you sure got after me in that last epistle, but just know I think you got some real spirit. You're a real gym rat, Moroni. Bahoran <laughs> goes on to tell Moroni to come with him, to come to him with a few men so that they can send some provisions or get some provisions sent unto them. Uh, Pahoran wants Moroni to come back so they can take Zarahemla also. That's why they're doing that. Um, let's see. Moving on. So Pahoran, Pahoran actually responded very nicely to Moroni's psychotic email. He sent him. <laughs> okay. Moroni heads towards Pahoran and builds an army along the way, raising his ban- his very ambiguous banner to get people psyched and join the movement. They needed these men to fight Pachus, who is the king now. Moroni slays Pachus and his men, and gracefully he restores Pahoran to the judgment seat. Moroni then does a very Moroni thing and puts all the people to death who were followers of Pachus and wouldn't join Moroni's army. <laughs> At this point, it would be shocking if he wasn't putting people to death in the name of freedom. Uh, <laughs> You can say one thing about Moroni, and he's consistent. Yeah. <laughs> he's a actual, consistent guy. Actual quote. Yay. Whosoever. Should I just get my cat out of no, here? No, it's right okay. Now? Are you sure? Yeah, just keep is going. It, is it ruining this episode? No, not at all. It adds to the mystique. Okay. Because you're a cat person. Yeah, I am. Um, at this point, 
Oh, never mind. Where was I? Here's here's the actual quote. Yay, whosoever was found denying their freedom was speedily executed yeah. according to the law. Uh-huh. It's a really funny passage. <laughs> okay, so Moroni sends provisions out to Helaman and the boys. Bahorn and Moroni decide they want to take Nephiha back. Nephiha. On the way, they capture Lamanites and either kill them or make them covenant not to use their weapons, and they send them to dwell with the Ammonites if they make this promise. So the Ammonites are receiving all these half-hearted recruits at best, and they probably aren't super stoked about it. Wow. Until they get to the Ammonites, and they're like, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> the people, do you think that they're stoked to go there? Or they're just saying, yes. I think they're just, I bet there's so many that are like, oh, sure, I won't fight. If you're not going to kill me. And Can I, I go, go home to my family? I'm going to go live with people that don't have any weapons. <laughs> that sounds awesome. And that you've made them bury those in the ground? <laughs> Except yeah. for their kids and if they fought for you? Okay. Yeah. Oh, so maybe they're good. That was me uh, being a little pessimistic there, Brian. Good Projecting catch. your own insecurities. <laughs> Let's see. So he sends them an Ammonite. So Moroni takes back Nephiha by sneaking in at night and having them wake up to their armies in the walls. At this point in history, night guards had not been invented. That's why this happens so much. That was <laughs> not invented until AD. Um, <laughs> it does keep happening. It does. And they always wait for him to wake up, too. They don't yeah. just kill him in their beds. No. It's like, we're going to sit here. They're going to be so surprised <laughs> when they wake up. They had to put it on YouTube of them yeah. waking up and, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Wake up, fail. <laughs> um, okay. So Moroni keeps marching against the Lamanites. The Lamanites keep fleeing as they don't want to fight Moroni because he's been killing people. The armies of the Lamanites finally stop in the land of Moroni, which just can't be your first choice of a place to stop when you're being chased by a guy named Moroni. But that's when they decide to stop. Everybody is tired, and Moroni calls for a stratagem meeting. However, Teancum is really mad. He's mad because Amaron, the king of the Lamanites, is so close, and he blames Amaron for everything. He's like, I'm not going to do this meeting. So he goes... Sneaks in at night, past no guards apparently, and he throws a javelin in Amaron's heart. However, the servants do see him, and Tiankum is chased and killed. Um, Moroni is sad about Tiankum and wipes away his tears with the blood of his enemies. He, <laughs> <laughs> he marches on the Lamanites and kills them. A great slaughter. The Lamanites flee, and it seems they're gone for good. Moroni retires and gives his armies to his son Moroniha, because his desires to live out the remainder of his days in peace with absolutely no PTSD. Uh, the people, I didn't read that sentence right, but he wanted to live the rest of his days out in peace, which I don't know if that's really what he wanted, but you can only raise so many banners and kill so many people before you just got to hand it off. Um, the people live in peace for a while and posterity. Helaman just dies. Um, so Helaman's son, Shiblon, takes control of the plates since Helaman died. Moroni then dies. At this point, um, people there's just kind of like a lot of peace, but people are leaving. People go five thousand go north to the land of desolation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, lots of people are going to other places. Some go in the water. Some don't come back. Some assume people are dying. Um, the waters took them. But anyway, there's just kind of a period of time where not no wars are happening, but they're kind of spreading out. Shiblon dies, and the plates are given to um, Helaman's son, Helamunha. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> His just, son is named just Helaman. Just Helaman Jr. Yeah. Um, ex- and so Helaman actually gives all the engravings to all of his people, which is the first time we've actually heard, at least I, I've realized that people are doing this. I think it's pretty cool. Except not the part that Alma said not to, you know, the big kicker where everyone dies in the end. <laughs> yeah. Just, just, they are not ready for that one. I know. It reminds Keep- me of Watchmen. 
Yeah. It's like, they're not ready to know the truth. Exactly. I think it could be like a cool Book of Mormon conspiracy movie where somebody goes in and reads the actual play. It's like, they're not telling us something. <laughs> yeah. There's the truth's in there. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's funny. <laughs> but it's, it's interesting. Um, some Lamanites uh, conspire against Moroni Ha, but he drives them back. And that's kind of how the Book of Alma ends. Enter Book of Helaman. Woo. The Book of Helaman begins with the death of Pahoran. Um, even though they aren't kings, judgment seats are passed on by direct lineage. Specifically, Pahoran has three sons, Pahoran Jr., Ponchi, and Pachimeni, I think. I don't mm-hmm. know how to say them. Yeah. Um, the people are divided on these three, but Pahoran Jr. ends up winning. Pachimeni loses respectfully, but Ponchi gets everyone riled up saying, you guys want me? Um, they condemn Ponchi to death, which, you know, makes his followers pretty upset. Um, and one of his followers, Kishkumen, walks right up to the judgment sheet and kills Pahoran. Actually, I don't think his name is Kishkumen. I think Kishkumen is like a name for an assassin. Because later there's more Kishkumens. I thought it's the same guy. No. No, because even after, like later in the in Helaman, there's another Kishkumen and another Kishkumen. So I think it's a title, like like assassin. Interesting. Yeah. But they refer to him as Kishkumen. I know. It, I, it's super confusing, trust me. But Okay. Anyway, he kills Pahoran. Um... So on the judgment seat, on the judgment seat, but in disguise, but he gets away. They keep saying like, Oh look, it's the shopkeeper. <laughs> so that, that actually leaves Pachumeni to take place of the judgment seat. The yeah. shopkeeper. Yeah. Nobody knows that reference. No, it's still funny. <laughs> um, that's from, we were playing Hitman. We were dressed up as a shoplifter and shopkeeper, or a shop, shopkeeper and everybody just kept saying, Hey, shopkeeper. I don't know why that shopkeeper has a has a barcode on the back of his head. We keep going. That literally is what he is, though. He's a hitman. So, Anyways. so so my theory here is that Pachimeni could have kind of conspired to make all this happen, and he just pretended not to care very much. He's like, my brother's gonna rise up. Yeah, have him kill. Shiz is gonna go down. Not Shiz from Ether. He went down a while ago. <laughs> um, okay, Pachimeni is judgment seat king now. While this is judge, happening, judge <laughs> he's the chief judge. Okay. <laughs> While this is happening, the Lamanites are building an army. Coriantumr, a Nephite dissenter, builds an army, and the new Lamanite king, Tubaloth, Tubaloth. the son of Amaron. Weird. They chose the king the same way the Nephites chose a new judge. <laughs> is very stoked about this. Um, Coriantumr takes the city of Zarahemla very easily since there was so much discord inside the city. Pachimeni flees from the city, but Coriantumr catches him and kills him. Against a wall, I think. Mm-hmm. Coriantumr didn't stop there. He marches to Bountiful. However, he is pretty arrogant and marches right through the center of the cities, which makes it possible for Moronaiha to attack from the edges and stop him. Moronaiha takes the Lamanites prisoners, but unlike his dad, sets them free to do as they wish, yeah. which is actually pretty cool. Moronaiha seems like a better version of his dad. Yep. Um, they have Zarahemla back now. Having peace is nice and all, but a similar problem persists. The judgment seat is not being warmed by a righteous buttocks. There is... <laughs> see, I don't remember writing any of this, so I'm, so, I'm sorry. <laughs> by a righteous buttocks. Uh, That's great. There is contention among the people that who should have it. Helaman gets appointed to be the judgment seat leader. See, I don't know what I was writing. What's chief this? judge. Judgment um, seat leader. Which is, I think, is the first time that the chief judge has been the prophet since Alma. Right. So Yeah. But it doesn't last very long. No. Nope. Um, let's see. So Helaman gets appointed judgment leader. So Kishkumen, it's, which I think is the same assassin, yep. right, at this point, wants to kill Helaman because he has this band, not like a musical band, but just like a group of people. 
And one of the members of this band is named Gaddy Anton. He tells this band, again, not like a musical band, but like a group of people, <laughs> that he wants the judgment seat and he would give them all power if we, they help him get the judgment and seat. And I think, I think you've skipped over a very important point, that Gaddy Anton has been pulling the strings the whole time. How do we know that? Because Kishkumen works for Gaddy Anton. That's where it makes that clear. And even later, it's like, and a bunch of stuff was going on with Gaddy Anton and none of the people in the city knew about it. Well, at this point... Gaddy Anton's not the leader of this group, though. It's Kish Kuman's group, and Gaddy Anton is gaining favor with them, it says. Mm, interesting. He's kind of, like, working them over, and people are, like, yeah, he's winning people over. But I don't think until right now he's, like, maybe he was before, too, but what we learned... I've always that, read it that way, and I always liked reading it that way because Gaddy Anton scares the crap out of me. He's the first person in the book where I'm like, yeah, don't mess with that guy. He is evil. Yeah. Evil, evil. So either way, but it seems like he originally wasn't the leader of this group. Not Moroni evil, but like actually evil. <laughs> um, but he gets this group to be like, oh yeah, we should put Gaddy Anton in charge. This yeah. will be the best for all of us. So luckily, Helaman's, one of his servants, is a double agent, and he overhears this plot that Gaddy Anton has where he tells Kishkumen to kill Helaman, just like happened before. He overheard the whole plan, and... Kishkumen is waiting to go kill Helaman and he kind of runs into Kishkumen on accident, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. He's like, Oh yeah, we're definitely gonna go kill Helaman right, right now. now. <laughs> let's like let's go. Yeah, you wanna go kill him? Let's go kill him. Let's go get let's go kill Yeah, I'm getting go, my knife out. We're gonna go kill him. Get my knife out to kill Helaman. Can go. I see if it works on you? And then he stabs him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so he kills so Helaman I think actually the pretty cool story of the servant that yeah. overheard it and then stopped it happening. He kills Kishkumen, goes and tells Helaman what happened um uh the servant tells Helaman uh, he tries to catch the Gaddy Antons but all the robbers escape and they get out of the city Helaman or whoever's writing right now which I assume is Helaman mm, I, I don't know this is where it all there's gets more it, ha- it can't be Helaman actually because no. it reveals some major spoilers yeah no there's there's this is where we start getting real dramatic tension because yeah. it's like, and this will be important later. <laughs> yeah. So basically, whoever's writing, it must be Mormon is what I think, mm-hmm. recapping this. Um, but he's like, <laughs> he's the robbers go away. But he's like, when the robbers, they're going to be very important later. Yeah. They're going to overthrow the majority of the Nephites. Not at the end of this book, but at the end of Nephi, you'll see, Helaman says, or whoever's writing, you'll see. Yeah. I think it's Mormon writing, actually. Um, spoiler alert. Is what I wrote there. Helaman continues his reign on the judgment seat. There's some contention. Some people leave. He has two sons, Nephi and Lehi, which even back then is pretty tacky. While, <laughs> while there is some worry. I actually love that he names him Nephi because it redeems the name Nephi. <laughs> no, it's cool. Yeah, because they are pretty legit. Yeah. And it's interesting he names the older one Nephi, mm-hmm. too. Um, okay, so there's some worry about the band of Getty Anton, but nothing really happens peace was found through the majority of helaman's reign eventually he dies and the judgment seat is given to his son nephi so i guess i was wrong helaman does stay the judgment seat leader his whole life yeah nephi is the one that's not nephi's reign is not as peaceful peaceful there are many dissenters who are kicked out of the city however they join forces with lamanites and get them angry and they take over the land zarahemla the nephites are pushed back to bountiful moroni have fights to take back certain lands and possessions uh, Moroni and Lehi tried preaching to the people because they believe it's their unrighteousness that is their undoing. Nephi, since this is bad, Nephi's voted out of the judgment scene, it seemed like. No, he, he, he realizes that the majority of the people want wickedness. So he's like, the voice of the people is doing things that I'm not comfortable 
doing so, I resign the seat. See, I read it as in the voice of people came and said, we're not going to have you. No, because me. Nephi appoints Zizram. He's the one that goes, hey, I want this guy. Oh, okay. Zizram with a C instead of a Z. Okay. Zizram, I guess. Zizram. Um, so, anyway, Nephi's not in the judgment anymore. They go from city to city, city preaching. Eventually... They are thrown into prison, the same prison that Ammon and his followers, like the very first Ammon, yeah. where Limhi Lim threw mm-hmm. him into prison. Not so, the first Ammon, the second Ammon. Is he the second? No, yeah. he's the first Ammon. Limhi's Ammon is the guy that cuts off arms. The first Ammon. No. Oh, this is the first This first? is the first Ammon. Wow. He's that's the one cool. that they they just go, they're like, we haven't found those people. You should go search for him. Yeah. And he goes and search for him and they throw capture him. In prison. him. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, wait, you're Nephites too. Yeah. Um, Which is really cool. I just I don't want to skip over the fact that that's awesome. It is really we're, cool. We're getting recalls to for- previous stuff. Finally, some of the like, like we've gone through all these war chapters, being like, oh, the Nephites, they really seem to be messing up. It doesn't seem like a very righteous society. And finally, it's like, oh yeah, because it's not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. they're bad. They're bad now. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I thought that was a cool reference. Anyway, so they're in prison for a few days and they're about to be killed. Um, they're not. They're being starved, and they people decide they're going to kill him. But as that happens, Nephi and Lehi get encircled by fire. They aren't burnt, but nobody can touch them. Then the earth starts to shake. It feels like the whole prison is going to fall, but it doesn't. Okay, and I just would like to point out how cool it is that we get a parallel of what happened in Ammonihah. Right. right? They're in prison. There's fire. There's shaking. And you're like, oh, so they're all going to die, right? Like, like the the ending of that one was all the wicked people died and they left. Yeah. This is a kind of a twist. I'm like, not, not now. A much better ending. Um, And so, yeah, so probably because they're like, everybody thinks they're going to die and probably because they know that story Mm -hmm. as well. Darkness encircles the people. um, A voice comes upon them telling them they need to repent. And it's very specific. This is where we get like the still small voice reference over and over again because it wasn't like a booming voice. And they they say piercing, which I think is cooler. It's like still small sounds like nice. This is like, uh uh-oh, to your heart. So the voice comes again, telling them to repent again. It comes a third time telling them marvelous things that are not allowed to be uttered by man. Mm -hmm. So probably do up lyrics. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That was that was the first barbershop quartet. (laughs) 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 The Lamanites and the dissenters in this prison are freaking out and cannot move. But one dissenter, Ammon, Aminadab, Aminadab, Aminadab looks and he sees the faces of lehi and nephi through the darkness since they're glowing he tells everyone they need to repent and to get the cloud of darkness off them once the cloud is gone angels come down and not speak just to repent them. but also call upon the name of him that will come okay. which again just take just for a second take out the, the the knowledge we know that this is christ just imagine we're in game of thrones world say right. no what you have to do is call out the name of him who right. will come, and then all of a sudden the fire encircles all of them. That's awesome. That is really cool. And then, you know, late, the, our modern version or understanding of Jesus kind of ruins that, not ruins it, but makes it more like, oh yeah, everyone knows who Jesus is. Right. But at this uh, point, no one knows who Jesus is, yeah, right? That, so. That's a very good point. Um, so it, there are about 300 people this happens to, and they're all converted, and they go out and start teaching other people mm-hmm. what happens. Um, they, many of them lay down their weapons and give them the land back to the Nephites. And that's how this section ends. Sorry, that was a lot of stuff and I probably didn't do the parts justice that you wanted, Brian. No, that was, was great. It was a lot. That was awesome. Okay. Okay, Thanks. let's jump into Righteous Anger. Righteous Anger. So because I want to discuss all of the things that happened 
uh, in more greater detail. I'm just going to say one thing. This is why I think it's stupid that so many people get stuck in the Isaiah chapters, never make it to this point. And even those that get through the war chapters end once Moroni dies, because for some reason they're fans of Moroni. Right. <laughs> um, because this is, I think, the first part of the Book of Mormon. Like, this is the story. This is this is the part that was for us. Everything else was leading up. We don't. I don't think we in modern days can be like, remember when we were setting up a democracy? <laughs> it doesn't work like that, you know. Uh, for us, for those of us who are live in America in in our modern society, these are the bigger lessons um, about conspiracy and about righteousness and forgetting the poor. So that is the end of my righteous anger in favor of me getting to more of the actual scriptures. Whoa, brief lightning. Likening the scriptures. Well, Brian, today I'm liking the scriptures. The part that stood utmost out to me mm-hmm. was the very beginning of this reading, where we see two letters to begin this story. Epistles. Two epistles, two emails, whatever you want to call them. It's all the same thing. That's not true. Anyway, the first epistle we read is from Moroni, and as you mentioned before, it was a little bit... What would you say? Unhinged. Unhinged is a good word. Rambling. And it sounded like Mar- Marona got drunk one night. Was like, listen, Poharan, <laughs> you know what? God's letting this happen just so that He can condemn you. <laughs> and then we had another epistle. Yeah. And I think if that epistle had gone to anybody but Poharan, Marona would have been in big trouble. But <laughs> Poharan seems like a very patient, yeah, good dude. Counterpoint. He- <laughs> Bohorin had just been threatened multiple times. I'm like, I wonder how much of this is true and how much of he's like, listen, lots of stuff's going down. <laughs> just kidding. True. Just kidding. That's very true. But no, Bohorin, I agree. Bohorin's awesome. Yeah, Bohorin writes back a very nice uh, epistle. So now I want to just look a little bit more in depth of the length of these epistles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is, we see <laughs> Moroni's, which I would say, which I would label as an ineffective epistle. Yeah. Clocks in it. Ineffective? Ineffective. 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 I don't think I said on. I think I said in. Oh, in. Okay, go ahead. I might have been wrong. Keep going. Uh, His epistle word count clocks in at 1,810 words. And then the second epistle, which I would say is a positive, powerful epistle, Mm -hmm. clocks in at 873 words. Almost 1,000 words shorter. Yeah. So what does this mean for us, Brian? Why don't you tell us, professor of public speaking? Well, if you look at the Rotten Tomato scores, <laughs> not to bring Transformers into this again, <laughs> again, but we had something very interesting happen with the release of Bumblebee. Yeah. You've been following the reviews of Bumblebee. Yeah, it's really, really good. Aquaman not doing very well. Bumblebee doing awesome. Aquaman has a decent reviews, but... 61%. I mean, come on. I thought it was in the 70s. No. Anyway, Bumblebee, 93%. How long is Bumblebee? It's like an hour and a half. Yeah, it's under two hours. How long is the longest Transformers movie? I mean, it felt like years of my life. (laughs) (laughs) Ten years long. Is it the last uh, night or whatever? I think the longest one clocks in at about two hours and 50 minutes. What I'm saying is, I don't want to keep... I'm not setting out to keep uh, comparing Moroni to Michael Bay. But his actions speak for himself. <laughs> He's long-winded, not a lot of heart, because it's not word count that matters, Brian. That's what you say. It's heart count. <laughs> and and Pahoran's heart count was through the roof, just like Bumblebee here has a lot of heart. 
The two people that he's <laughs> the two people that Morona have argued with over a pistol have been stabbed through the heart. Uh, <laughs> secondly, uh, it, don't you think it's interesting that both times Morona writes epistles, the people who respond to him like own him, just own him, yeah. wipe the floor with the guy. Even Poran, who's like not trying to own him, is like, listen, I understand why you're a crazed individual, right? But I need your help. Let's you know stop fighting. <laughs> Which really, I didn't set out to do another Rotten Tomatoes thing, but. The fact that Michael Bay made five Transformers movies and they were all really long and awful, and then somebody else directs the newest one, and it's like one of the best <laughs> reviewed movies of the year so far. I'm just saying. Yep. That was that was a stretch. But Shorter is that better. Was lightning scripture. I like today. it. The Rotten Tomatoes comparisons. Let's jump into AP Mormonism so I can rant. AP Mormonism. Okay, Alma 60, verse 18. Uh, For we know that not, but what ye yourselves are seeking for authority. We know not, but what you are also traitors to your country. This is Moroni. Uh, I said, ah, military leaders, killing all those who refuse to uh, covenant with them, then turning around and calling justly elected leaders of the country (laughs) traitors, just like Jesus would have. Uh, Alma 60, 23. Do you suppose that God will look upon you as guiltless while you sit and behold these things? Behold, I say unto you, nay. Now I would that you would remember that God has said, that the inner vessel shall be cleansed first and then the outer vessel be cleansed also. And I'm like, Hey Moroni, have you ever heard of irony? <laughs> yeah. Cleanse the inner vessel. It's not talking about the country. It's talking about yourself, dude. Right. Anyways. Uh, well, that's interesting. Well, that's the interesting thing too, is when I read that, how we apply that. Yeah. I don't think that's actually what he meant. We apply it that way. You well, know, cleanse, what, what do you mean? The cleanse the inner vessel, then the outer vessel. Yeah. He was, he's he, saying we need to cleanse our society, then Lamanite society. Right. Yeah, which is very Hitler-esque. We, well, but we take the we take that as and we need to purify ourselves. But that's not what he actually intended when yeah, he wrote it. No. And that's the scripture we also, take it from. Also, it wasn't Jesus the one that said that? Anyways, I'm, I don't know. That's why I was wondering, is this where that comes from? I don't know. Because if that's where it comes from, we misinterpret it and give Moroni like this poetic. No, I think he's quoting other scripture. But I thought that Jesus, and maybe Jesus was saying, like, if, if something be in your eye, you take it out or whatever. Anyways. Yeah. Let me, I'll look that up. Um, Alma 60 verse 24. It will be expedient that we contend no more with the Lamanites until we have first cleansed our inward vessel. Yea, Even the great head of our government. So here's Moroni threatening to let the Lamanites take over Zarahemla as, <laughs> as repayment. And then 6025, and accept that ye grant mine epistle and come out and show me the true spirit of freedom and strive to, I don't think that he knows what the meaning of word freedom means, no, by the way. No, 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 no. It doesn't make any sense. using is- that word. I don't think you know what it means. <laughs> um, behold, I will leave a part of my free men to maintain this part of our land, and I will leave the strength and the blessings of God upon them, and none power can operate against them. I said, and now we're on to a threat of a military coup. And then lastly, to hit the trifecta, Alma 6030, behold, I will wait for assistance from you and accept you to administer unto our relief. Behold, I come unto you, even the land of Zarahemla, and smite you with a sword, insomuch that you can have no more power to impede the progress of this people in the cause of our freedom. And I just think one, two, three strikes you're out, but uh, sorry, everyone. Moroni is a madman. Yeah, <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah this read through. Because I've, I've had that opinion for a while that I didn't really like him. Yeah, but now it's like but very apparent. Reading it through, I'm like, oh, why does anybody like I him? I don't know. Yeah. He's crazy. He's nuts. Yeah. <laughs> Alma 61.8. They have got the possession of the land or the city of Zarahemla. They have appointed a king over them. This is Bohorin back to Moroni. And he hath written unto the king of the Lamanites in which he has said he had joined an alliance with him. I said um, that this is 
quite a plot tri- uh, twist, right? He says, um, the Lamanites to conquer the remainder of the land and shall be placed king over the people and they shall be conquered under the Lamanites. So this is a very Game of Thrones twist, like the Lannister army waiting outside uh, with a mad king, right? They took over the city and no one knew. Right. Like no one in the country knows. Like, oh yeah, the Lamanites now control the head of the seat of our government. Right. Um, this is also Borhan, Alma 61.9. And now in your epistle, you have censured me, but it mattereth not. How many times do people say it mattereth not to Moroni? <laughs> I am not angry, but do rejoice in the greatness of your heart. I, Bohoran, do not seek for power, save it only to retain my judgment seat that I may preserve the rights and the liberty of my people. My soul standeth fast in the liberty in which my God hath made us free. So now here's a Christ-like man. If I were Bohoran, I'd be furious with Moroni, but he seeks to understand and empathize with someone who's being a complete ass. Heart count, dude. Yeah, heart. There we go. Alma sixteen one fourteen. Um, this is Poran. Therefore, my beloved brother Moroni, let us resist evil, and whatsoever evil we cannot resist with our words, yea, such as rebellions and dissensions, let us resist them with our swords, that we may retain our freedom. And I said, this is my personal foreign policy outlook, like diplomacy first and violence only if you can have to use it to stop evil. Right. I love that that quote. I do not think Moroni shares that. That uh, outlook, he seeks to fix everything with a sword. Well, because when he's putting people to death that won't fight in his army, they're the noble people then. Like, no, I'm not going to fight for a cause I don't believe in. You know what I mean? Like, they'd rather be put to death than fight for Moroni. That says something. I think think the Ammonites have taught us being willing to die instead of fight is noble. Um, Yeah. Alma 62.1, and now it came to pass that when Moroni had received this epistle, his heart did take courage, and he was filled with exceedingly great joy because of the faithfulness of Bohoran, and he was not a traitor to freedom in the cause of his country. But notably, he doesn't feel bad. <laughs> what a man, Moroni. He's like, oh, awesome, he's on our side still. It's like, dude, you just threatened to kill him. <laughs> you said that God kills innocent people because so, of you, so he can punish people yeah. like them. <laughs> Anyways, Alma 62.10, and thus it became expedient that uh, this law should be strictly observed for the safety of their country. Yea, and whosoever was found denying their freedom was speedily executed according to this law. What's the the craziest. What's the difference between kingmen and this? You know, it's just like Jesus said, all's fair in love and war. Also, he said, I never said it'd be easy. I just said it'd be worth it. But um, (laughs) I'd argue that everything that's about to happen to the Nephites in the coming chapters um, is a result of how they acted here. And that. It is with guile in their hearts and blinders on their eyes. They peak pride cycle here, refusing to see themselves as the thing that's wrong. And and in the name of freedom seems so perverse. Like, again, he, this is not freedom. Putting the people to death who disagree with you, that's what kings do. You are like, just because you're three of you doing it doesn't mean it's any less of a king attitude. It, it really, there isn't a clear definition for what, like what you said, what separates them. Like even how they're because we want a king. Yeah, we want a judge. (laughs) And then you point out later that the Lamanites are like, oh, they hand it down to son like, you know, the Nephites do. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Uh, Alma 6211. Sorry, did you have more? No, that's I just want to point that out. Alma 6211. Moroni and Pahoran having restored peace to the land of Zarahemla. So that's first part among their own people. Having inflicted death upon all those who were not true to the cause of freedom. (laughs) Inflicting (laughs) death doesn't sound like peace. (laughs) <laughs> but I guess it's a, uh, uh, it's an age of peace where everyone that disagreed was killed. Here's let's define terms. Yeah. Freedom <laughs> equals what Moroni wants. That's that's all it equals. Peace equals no one to fight them. Peace, peace equals you haven't died. Yeah. Like <laughs> you are at peace it, because you are alive. It reminds me of, of Halo where like what the flood wants, this parasitic. They're like, we just want peace, which is us infecting all of you and killing you. Right. But that's all we, we just then no one will fight. <laughs> so... <laughs> 
Alma 62, 29, therefore all the prisoners of the Lamanites did join the people of Ammon and did begin to labor exceedingly, tilling the ground, raising all manner of grain and flocks and herds of every kind. And thus were the Nephites relieved from a great burden, yea, insomuch that they were relieved from all the prisoners of the Lamanites. Um, send them to the Ammonites, the only people left in the land, not trying to kill or force others to fight for them. Just hardworking free people. Love the Ammonites. Love that they get sent there. And this also, I think is, it's good that they get. But I don't know if the Ammonites are particularly stoked about it. That was my point. That I I agree with you. I don't think the Ammonites are particularly stoked about anything. <laughs> I would argue the reason everyone keeps fleeing into the north, like oh, and then some people went into the north and it was fine. It's like no, they were fleeing you. <laughs> they were getting away from you guys. It was not respectful. I mean, Haggath building ships. Do you ever wonder why he wanted to leave? Right. It's because they live in like North Korea. <laughs> Does Haggath come back into that? I didn't no. mention it by name, but yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, Alma 62:43. This is what I was saying before. I want, want to know if you like this comparison. And Moroni yielded up the command of his armies into the hands of his son, whose name was Moronihah. And I agree with you. Moronihah is awesome. Yeah. And he retired to his own house that he might spend the remainder of his days in peace. First of all, was peace killing other people? <laughs> Second of all, this kind of reminds me of Thanos. At the end of Infinity War, he's at rest at his house, thinking of all the good he's done and how much service he's given to the universe when really he's done all this damage. Right. right? And that's why I imagine oh, Moroni, I like yeah. you know, like his, uh, you know, uh, armor out on a scarecrow, just like uh, like Thanos is. <laughs> he probably is so restless. I haven't killed anybody in so long. <laughs> yeah. How can anybody sleep without killing a man the day before? Uh, Alma 63.4, there was a large company of men, even about uh, 5,400 men, that went into the land which was northward. It's interesting. Uh, now people are leaving into the land of desolation. I kind of just made my reasons for why that's happening now. Um, this is a period of expansion where Haggath leaves into the north and they never hear from him again. Um, and it came to pass that they were never heard of more. And we suppose this is 63.8. And we suppose that they were drowned in the depths of the sea. And it came to pass that one ship sailed, did sail forth. And whether she did go, we knew, we knew not. It said, or they went to the north and were like, let's not go back there or talk to anyone down there anymore. That <laughs> yeah. place is effed. <laughs> we're yeah, done. They're so prideful. New they're society. Like, if they could come back, they would have come back. Yeah. They must I mean, have been who, like, who doesn't want to be here with all the peace and freedom? <laughs> Hillman 1-4, and now we're into my favorite pieces of scripture. Uh, now, these were the sons of Pohoran, for he had many. Yeah, that's, uh, that's true. I said, sounds like Pohoran got around. He was like the Bill Clinton of chief judges. Yeah, he was using that seat for all sorts of yeah. things. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dying on the judgment seat wasn't the worst thing yeah, he's done. exactly, <laughs> exactly. Hillman 1-8, and it came to pass that he was about to do this. Behold, he was taken and was tried according to the voice of the people and condemned unto death. So, so does he actually Jew die? And, yeah. Okay. I just didn't know if they like sentenced him and then this uprising happened and no, he's like, still around. The, the two brothers killed their brother. Right. Which again, Crazy. as as a as a like church, probably some red flags. I wonder if Helaman's like, yo, we should not kill your brother. <laughs> he's your brother. Don't kill him. But I, I'm kind of feel like Helaman's like, whatever, just keep going. I don't care. Right, yeah. Um Helaman one eleven, and he went uh, unto those that sent him, and they were entered into a covenant, yea, swearing by their everlasting maker that they would tell no man that Kushmikin had murdered Pahoran. Right? So this is the beginnings of a conspiracy. Um, started to uh, rear its head in this democracy, and that's a big red flag. It means that people are nakedly in pursuit of power, but lack the courage to do so publicly. This is the last phase of democracy in all democracies, late stage democracy, even like Rome, the Civil War, or even Hitler's Germany. And now in America, politics becomes the war instead of the actual wars. It's an internal fight and it's dirty, less about ideas than about naked power grabs. Um, and it should con it, it should concern them here and it should concern us now. 
um, Helaman 115. And they were led by a man whose name was Coriantumr, and he was a descendant of Zarahemla, and he was a dissenter among the Nephites, and was a large and mighty man. So, right now, there's two battles going on. There's the battle against the Nephite dissenters, who are coming up from the Lamanites, Mm -hmm. and then there's a battle with this internal conspiracy group. And at this time, I think, as you're reading the Book of Mormon, you're like, oh, well, the scarier one is the Lamanites, because big bad, big bad. But... I love what, what Mormon does here. He's like, and you'd think that the Lamanites are bad, but no, it gets much worse from the getting right. into uh-huh. Um, Helaman 123, and now uh, he did not tarry in the land of Zarahemla. He did march forth with a large army, even towards the land of uh, City of Bountiful. This is Kriantamer after he killed everyone in, in Zarahemla. For it was his determination to go forth and cut his way through with the sword, and they maintained the north parts of the land. So after killing the chief judge and taking the best city in the north, he keeps going. It's like Napoleon going into Russia. It kind of is, it boggles my mind. I'm like, why? Why would you do this? Yeah, Stay in Zarahemla. No one can ever hold Zarahemla. Anyways. Um, and it came to pass. So Moroni, Moroni had beats the crap out of that army. And it came to pass that Moroni took possession of the city of Zarahemla again and caused that the Lamanites who had been taken prisoner should depart of the land in peace. This brings a tear to my eye where I'm like, oh, the children, they are our future. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he's already better and his dad. He let the Lamanite med go. And I, in my mind, he's realizing that Nephi's dissenters have taken advantage of a lot of these people. So letting them go and, and also ending the cycle of abuse of like just killing people and then starting a whole new revolution. Yeah. Going all the way back to Alma when he killed Nehor. Right. And there was no, there was no like deal made just that they are allowed to go and do what they want, you know, which means they're, they can come back and fight him. him, Well, I mean, they could, but why would you? You would just be like, no, I'm, I'm done. Uh, Helaman two, three through four, behold, Kushmakin who had murdered Pahora and did lay away to destroy Helaman. Um, um, and was upheld by his band who had entered into a covenant that no one should know his wickedness. For there was one Gaddy Anson who was exceedingly expert in many words and also in his craft to carry on the secret work of murder and robber, robbery. Therefore, he became the leader of the band of Kushmakin. <clears throat> so Kushmakin's not dead yet. That's why I'm like, Kushmakin has been working for Gaddy Anson this whole time. So now we arrive at the truest. So that's my question. So if Kushmakin's a title, is it not referred so is it not referring to that guy? I think I think the, this guy originally, yes. But I think Kushmakin is just the assassin that this band keeps okay. sending. But right, but so Gideon wasn't originally the leader of this, I right? think he was. That's why, That's how I read it. But I thought that what you just read. Read that again. For there was one Gideonson who was exceedingly expert in many words and also in his craft to carry on the secret work of murder and robbery. Therefore, he became the leader of the band of Kushmakin. Kushmakin's not dead yet. They haven't killed him. Right. So he becomes the leader before Kushmakin's even killed. Okay. So, and then later, I think... But, it, but it originally was... That, but that's my thing. It's saying it's the band of Kushmakin, mm-hmm. right? So it originally was his, but Gaddy Anton worked, like, flattered his way to the top, and they said, you're... Our but but right. again, if Kushmakin is a title, then I just think that... Anyways, it doesn't actually matter. I just think that Gaddy Anton is the truest and most effective villain in the Book of Mormon. He's a Nephite set on chaos. Very much a joker to Morion, uh, Moroni Ha's Batman. And the dramatic tension of this story is, not, is like nothing else in this book. We know that an assassin is coming for Helaman on Gadianton's orders. We know that before it happens. Right. I love that. I think it's it's good storytelling is what it is. Mor- Mormon, if you wrote this, please rewrite the first parts of the book. Of <laughs> uh, Helaman 2.6, you already talked about this, the spy novel stuff of like hearing and uh, very, yeah, very I love cool. This, I love this part. Very almost House of Cards plot of like hearing and then interfering. I, lo- I love to think that when he kills Kushmakin before he kills him. He's like, Helaman sends his regards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All of a sudden, uh, uh, Reigns of Castamere playing in the background. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Alma 2, 8 through 9. And when the servant of Helaman had known uh, all the heart of Cushmican and how it was as object to murder and that the object to all those who belonged to his band to murder and to rob and to gain. Now this, um, the servant of Helaman said unto Cushmican, let us go forth. Then he stabs him. And I just am like, who is this servant? The servant is a hero and I want to know his name. Yeah, he doesn't have a name. I, he I saved agree. the chief, chief judge slash prophet. It's an important role. I mean, right. we get all this Gid and, and Tiancum, and it's like, yeah, they murdered kings. This guy saved someone. Nah, it doesn't matter what his name is. <laughs> Maybe they didn't want to reveal their source. They're like, oh, trust us. We know who it is. He was Gideon. We're not t- all along. <laughs> yeah, no. It's Nephi. Uh, it's one of the three Nephites Whoa. traveling back through time. Back in time? <laughs> yeah. Don't want to introduce time travel to break the canon here. Uh, <laughs> Helaman 2.11. But behold, when Gadianton had found that Cushmakin did not return, he feared lest he should be destroyed. Therefore, he caused his band to follow him. And they fled out of the land by a secret way into the wilderness. And thus, when Helaman sent forth to take them, they could nowhere be found. Into the wilderness, he disappears. This reminds me a lot of the Legend of Zelda and Ganondorf plotline, where a whispering evil is in the wilderness, and everyone thinks it's fine, but he's plotting to take the kingdom away. And soon... Like, just like in, in Legend of Zelda, when, when the reign of darkness comes, everyone's like, what were we thinking? Right. <laughs> we should have stopped him. But again, not the Lamanite. This is a, a Nephite. Anyways. Yeah. Helaman 2, 13. And behold, at the end of this book, you shall see that Gadianson did prove the overthrow, yea, almost the entire destruction of the people of Nephi. Like I said, the most effective and haunting villain in the Book of Mormon. And I love, again, that scripture so cool. Uh, Helaman 3.3, in which there were an exceedingly great many who departed the land of Zarahemla and went forth into the land northward. Um, good thing there was no law preventing them from immigrating into the north. <laughs> or a military captain killing people who try to flee, but whatever. <laughs> they didn't have a Kickstarter going. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Helaman 3.9, and the people who were in the land northward did dwell in tents and in houses of cement, and they did suffer whatsoever tree would spring up in the face of the land, that it should grow up, and that the time they would have timber, yea, in their cities and their temples and their synagogues. And again, these are a people of conservation. These are the Ammonites. These are people who fled. Um, they are averse to violence. They're living in humility. They're conserving natural resources. Let the people in the land below kill each other. This place sounds really nice. So. Yeah. Anyways, it kind of reminds me when Nephi's family came over to escape all the violence in J- Jerusalem, and then, awesome. <laughs> really ruined that. Uh, Helaman 3.12, and it came to pass there were many of the people of Ammon who were um, in fourth in that land, and again, I love that. Helaman 13.14, but behold, a hundredth part of the proceedings of this people, and it goes on to say how many of these things were not actually written down. I'm like, man, this sounds like a really cool story to go into details. Maybe Sunday should write a book about it the best time in the book of mormon that's what interests me the most is here until when christ comes i find the most fascinating right um hillman 323 and it came to pass in the 40 and ninth year of the reign of the judges there was a continual peace established in the land all save it were secret combinations which ganiant and the robber had established in the more settled parts of the land which at the time were not known unto those who were at the head of government therefore they were not destroyed out of the land again some dramatic tension here this reminds me a lot of i'm keep going to fantasy because this actually to me feels as close to fantasy not fantasy as in like it didn't happen but as fantasy as in like true good storytelling about good and evil uh-huh. um this reminds me a lot of Sen- senator palpatine bidding his time in secret plotting against uh, a war weary galactic empire yeah. um or republic in many ways these chapters remind me of the star wars prequels grand and history defining times until the chosen one arrives which is christ um 
Are you comparing him to Anakin Skywalker? Ana- Anakin <laughs> is not the chosen. Anyways, just, doesn't just, matter. I'm just uh, it's not one for one, Jordan. <laughs> Hilleman three thirty four, and they were lifted up in pride, even to the persecution of many of their brethren. Now this is was. Now this was the great evil, which did cause a more humble part of the people to suffer great persecutions and to wade through much, much affliction. Again, a year or two or good of good times, and the great uh, evil begins again. This is the fastest pride cycle turnaround yet. The acceleration of the cycle will continue until Christ comes. And again, the main thing we take away from these chapters is, if you lift it up, or you're lifted up in pride, you you will be humbled, and they're they're about to be humbled. A great work of humbling is coming. Helaman 5, 1 through 2. And it came to pass in the same year, behold, Nephi delivered up his judgment seat unto a man whose name was Caesarum. For as their laws and their governments were established by the voice of the people, and they who chose evil were more numerous than they who chose good, therefore they were ripening for destruction, for the laws had become corrupted. Nephi is probably my favorite character in the Book of Mormon. He see, did, see, reading that, just point that out. Sorry. To make it it sounds like what you're, what I see what you're saying is like he got voted out. It can be, I think you can interpret it either way. Yeah. But I, I did read it as in the voice of the, like, if they are a, de- like, this part made me go, oh, maybe it is more of a democracy but, than we know. Yeah, but remember that Nephi comes back to the, to uh, Zarahemla later, not in these readings, and they ask him to be the chief judge again, and he says no. He's like, oh, okay. no, thank you. I'm not saying that Nephi wouldn't have been against it but it sounds like he was voted out because they talk about the majority of the people yeah but this is the first time where it actually sounds like a democracy more than a just choosing a king you know exactly so nephi never kills he sees where all this is heading and quits the judgment seat knowing the majority of the people are evil the democracy begins to be pointless he then devotes his life to try and save people from themselves he also gets special spirit powers as we will see which i love um (laughs) Helaman 519, therefore they did speak under the great astonishment of the Lamanites to convincing them insomuch that there were 8,000 of the Lamanites who were in the land of Zarahemla and roundabout baptized in repentance. And this is the last straw. The Lamanites begin to become better than the Nephites when it comes to the church. Um, this is the last thing that happens to a society before annihilation of that society, which is that the people who were wicked um, become good and the people who were good become wicked. Right. Uh, love the callback to the prison. We already said that. Um, and they went forth into the prison. They did take them and they went to slay them. Nephi and Lehi. And it came to pass that Nephi and Lehi were encircled about by, by fire in so much they durst not lay their hands upon them for fear that they should be burned. Again, this is probably the most epic part of the book of Mormon. Um, besides the other, you know, prison and Ammonihah scene. Um, I will say I like the, I, I like the ending of this one better. I mean, it's happier, but the, the one with, um, who, who was in the prison again? Alma and Amulek. Alan Amulek. Mm-hmm. We get a little bit more of what's going on between those two and like their perspective on things because yeah. Amulek's like, can we get out of this? This one, we don't really, we just hear what happened to him. We don't mm-hmm. really hear Nephi and Lehi's like their conversations. So. Absolutely. But you do hear Aminadab, which I like. Aminadab is cool, yeah. Because um, no longer are the enemies of good killed and destroyed. They are converted. They are brought into the circle of light. This is, I think, a sign of it more than anything of the, the fact that the that Christ is about to come and that the law will change, right? No longer is it an eye for an eye, but you forgive everyone. And this is the precursor to that. That's why I think Nephi has chosen as the prophet who gets to greet Christ, as we will see. Um, and as many as were convinced to lay down their weapons of war and also the hatred and traditions of their fathers. And again, I think this lesson keeps happening in the Book of Mormon. What happens when you lay down your arms and try to love each other is cool stuff happens. I would say miraculous stuff. I mean, 
this is going to change the history, you know, the course of a nation. It's so much to the fact that the Lamanites will become the driving force for good in the coming chapters, and it will be the uniting force of the Lamanites and the Nephites have to get together to beat Gadianton, um, which I find just awesome. Yeah, because it's cool. it's truly the first time where it's like, okay, now, right here, the, uh, nowhere else in the Book of Mormon, you can make an argument for either or. These people are good, these people are bad, well, but it depends on your perspective. The Lamanites always say that. They're like, hey, listen, our point of view is that you guys keep just kind of abusing <laughs> us. But when they're they're both fighting against Getty Anson, bad, good. It is truly a, a a fight of fantasy, like um, Lord of the Rings or Star Wars. There are clear good guys, there are clear bad guys, and it's easy to fight along those lines. So that's my abridgment. Nice. I tried to go as fast as I can. So if you heard that as out of breath, it's because I was trying to read really quick. <laughs> cool. You did call that your abridgment, and that kind of hurts my feelings because I did the actual. What abridgment. did I say? You said abridgment, AP but you know you did a really bad. good job. My bad. I just want to point out one thing real quickly. Yeah. You brought in the idea of like time travel. Yeah. Wouldn't it be fun if there were, we just bought Spider-Man the Spider-Verse? Oh, okay. I thought you were about to go into, wouldn't it be fun if there were books about these kids who had to go back oh, to this no, time? No, <laughs> I just had the, the idea of flashing my head of these like Spider-Verse, but alternate realities of like Moroni, like one where he's a woman and one where he's a pig <laughs> <Yeah>. or whatever. <laughs> There could be so many fun movies. Anyway, that's the end of AP Mormonism. It's Captain Salami. Yeah. And his son, Salamahaya. We should point out, Peter Porker eats hot dogs and that is gross. Well, no, but he's not a pig. I thought he was a no, pig. No, he's a radioactive spider. That was, or he's a, He was a spider bitten by a radioactive pig. <laughs> okay. So he's Peter Porker in that he becomes a... A pig, but only because he was a radioactive spider that was bitten by a, uh, or he was a spider bitten by a radioactive <laughs> oh, okay, pig. Okay, okay. But yeah, the hot dog thing is really weird, <laughs> very odd. Um, I also think it's really interesting in that movie. This is not related to this at all. But it was so good that it, it should was. Be Everyone about. should see it, and and it's like perfectly family friendly. It doesn't show any violence. That that was part of it. Is like uh, at the very beginning, it said approved by the Comics Authority. That means you can't show any blood or actual violence. So notice everyone that dies in that, they cut away right before you see them killed. Oh, okay. But I mean, you see people fighting. There's fight but, scenes. But never anyone die. But who's, who's this board of people that doesn't want to see people die? Back in the 1940s, they that's how they, they got together and they're like, listen, if we're going to do comics, we can't show anyone die and show any sex. And, uh, now, and if they could see our day where Batman's junk is on. <laughs> you heard about that, right? Batman's junk? Oh, yeah. There was this latest ep- uh, comic run of, of Batman. It shows Batman's male genitalia. Oh, I saw that a while ago. Yeah. <laughs> did you know? Okay. <laughs> well, I did. There's like a sh- You can see the shadow of it. I'm cool with it. <laughs> I- I'm not. Okay. That's how I thought it looked. <laughs> On to Three Degrees of Glory. <laughs> Story. Three degrees of story. I think I said this before, but my favorite part was the servant stopping Kishkumen. I thought it was so cool just because it was very cinematic. That was my top number one. Yeah, my number one is the fire coming out of heaven and circling the prison. It is very, that's very cool. Very cinematic. A little derivative of what stuff we've seen before. but How so? This is like the other prison scene. But that one doesn't have, uh, I guess, but the glowing faces I, and the metaphor, right? Like... As a, as a spiritual lesson, I always love bringing this up like in primary or you with youth. I'm like, okay, so listen, this is an awesome story. Fire comes out of heaven and s- saves them in a prison. But then also as a metaphor for how you're supposed to use repentance, right? You're right. in the dark. 
you've you're the bad guys you realize oh i'm the bad guy and they're good what can i do to be them yeah. and all you have to do is repent and then you're in the fire and then everyone's good yeah so i think it's cool i was i was just being a dick <laughs> as usual um i i also really loved pohoran's response to moroni yeah it was um, beautiful it was it was so, nice. so refreshing after reading epistles between moroni and other angry people <laughs> like amaron yeah yeah exactly. <laughs> child of hell yeah and this one he's like listen follow me or i won't fight for you follow me or i tell the lamanites to come follow me or i'll kill you yeah um so yeah I, I like I like Moroni Hod letting people go. And it doesn't even call a whole lot of attention to it really. Mm-hmm. It's not like and this was way different than what happened before. It just says what happened. And so it's easy to not see that. So Maybe the cool. reason that the very foundations of hell would be shaken is because he would kill literally everyone and they'd all go straight to heaven because they did nothing wrong. Like, where are people? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's only one bad guy on earth right now, and it's Moroni. <laughs> he has shaken the foundations of hell. <laughs> Okay, uh, on to Title of Liberty. Title of Liberty. So, Jordan, you know that quote from The Dark Knight where it says you either die a, vil- or die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become a villain? Yeah. I think the losers... Of these chapters and of, I think, a large part of the Book of Mormon is as people get older, they start making decisions that tarnish their legacies, right? I think Alma did that. I think Moroni never had a good legacy, but, and even Helaman now, I'm like, oh man, you kind of, kind of mess with that. I think the winners are the next generation. Um, Moroni, Ha, and Nephi are like, no, we're doing this differently. We're going to let them go, and I'm not going to be on a judgment seat fighting. I'm going to go and preach to the people that I'm supposed to fight. Um, and then of course, Gaddy Anton really gets away with, uh, well, gets away with murder and then also goes into the wilderness, never to be found or heard from again until he does. Bum, bum, bum. What about you? Um, so my losers are definitely the, the sons of Pahoran just because oh, they, yeah. they had three chances at the throne and it didn't work out for any of them. One part I actually did like about this just cause it's different than what we usually see is Tiankum's story because he just kind of does something because he's fed up, yeah. you know, and it, it's not necessarily good, but it's not bad either. Like yeah. it's good that he did it, but he was just he's like, trying to save the, 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 the land from yeah, the bloodshed. And he was just like upset that the war is happening. That's, that's to me more so just upset that they're evil, but just like, look at all this has happened and it's yeah. his fault. Yeah. Even though it's not totally his yeah. fault. L- look again, inner vessel, but <laughs> yeah, but I mean, but I agree that he, and he doesn't come away from it. Scott free. It's not like, no, and he, I killed him and God protected no, me. No, he dies. He dies. And, but I think even in society, we kind of like those rogue characters, even like Poe Dameron in the new movie. Yep. It doesn't work out well for him either, but we, we like his character, right? Because we, he has passion. Yeah. And he's doing something that he thinks is right and not, and trying to help others without realizing how much right. he might actually hurt everything. Yeah. And and killing Amaron didn't do anything. Didn't really do much. <laughs> and, but... So I like that, and I think often that story is told as in, like, this is what happens when you let your passions get the best of you. But I'm like, it's, I think there's some positive to that as mm-hmm. well, and I like that character trait, even if it did end up not well for him. And so again, he's every, my honorary winner. My honorary winner would be the people are in the north. Yeah, no, yeah. You, you got it right. <laughs> Stay up there. And, and tell your kids to go farther north. That's Canada right now, looking down at us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we're, we're doing we're great. We're good. We're fine. Um, 
Because like even even at the end of the Book of Mormon, everyone keeps trying to go north to get away from everything, but they can't get far enough away. And they always want to go back and get their lands. I, I just real quick before we end, I just have kind of I don't know where to fit it in, but this is <laughs> okay. If you're a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints at its earliest inception, and you're reading the Book of Mormon, and then you for, you join the church in the earliest days, and you come out west with the, the pioneers. There is so much in the Book of Mormon that is personally interesting to you. First of all, the flee from persecution of Nephi. That's why I think we focus so much on those those chapters in our church. Is because the earliest members of our church are like, we're just like them. We had to leave everything and come out to a completely new land. Where, right. That's why they named everything after it. They're like, that's Bountiful. That's Manti. <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh-huh. um, secondly, they also lived through the Civil War and the assassination of one of their presidents. And the assassination of one of their prophets. So again, the Book of Mormon to them had had to feel so real and prescient, um, which which so again I always have a hard time contextualizing. So when like assassination of Abraham Lincoln, what year was that um, compared to Joseph Smith? Like Joseph Smith was before him, I think. So is the Civil War happening at the same time Book of Mormon stuffs happening, or Joseph Smith stuffs happening? Uh, right after, yeah. He, I mean, Joseph Smith prophesies of it, right? Says. See, that's why I've I should know more, but I always have a hard time play. It always seems like a separate history that yeah. I'm not. I would like jo- to see Joseph Smith was running for president at the same time that Abraham Lincoln is, uh, is what I remember, right? I don't know. That's yeah, why I told and you. and so when Joseph Smith is killed, we always see it as this martyrdom. But like, if you look it up on Wikipedia, he's on the list of American politicians assassinated. Right, exactly. He's running for president. Um, and then Abraham Lincoln, and this is true. It's not. This is not a stupid Mormon uh, myth. He had the Book of Mormon checked out when he died. Right. Of yeah. the Library of Congress. To me. I understand why. If you're reading the Book of Mormon, you'd be like, yep, a lot of this has... I mean, because uh, a lot of the decisions Moroni made, Abraham Lincoln flirted with those kind of decisions. Of like, hey, are you for are you for secession? Then you're going to die. Yeah. <laughs> um, and again, you'd argue, well, isn't that evil? Well, they were literally enslaving people. So, But, but it gets really complicated. Um, I just think it's so interesting to think of early saints' relationship with the Book of Mormon. Oh, for it's sure. It's so different than ours. They did not read it like, what does this say about our modern life? <laughs> like, how can the word, they're like, no, like, we're at war right now. Yeah. We had to flee our country, and they're trying to get us back in. They're like, no, 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 Utah, you can't have that area. You're like, this is exact. This is the same freaking thing. Again, we're going to fight. We're, gonna, we're willing yeah. to fight. God will protect us. Anyways. Much more literal meaning for yes, them than yes. for us. Yeah. Um, I also just wrote, like, lastly, I love this march to, to Jesus. And what I'm about to say, people are going to be very upset about. <laughs> I think it's better to think of Jesus in these scriptures as a story, as not the same Jesus that we know, as just this mythical being that will eventually come down from the sky. He never does this to any other part of the world. He comes back to his followers this way. But to this country, he comes down and is like, I am a god. Right. And I will now instruct you. And, and, and what you'd expect is him to be like, and those people are evil. Kill them all. Right. He goes, no, we're all going to be one people. Oh, and brownies. Brownies are done, and we are 15 seconds away, so we got to say goodbye. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> that, this was good. Yeah. What a strong note to leave us on, Bri. Cool. Talk to you guys later. Bye.